0: Coming up on Heart & Soul, we find out what's really funny about this new documentary making its debut across the country. We catch up with a seven-footer who's making a name for himself off the court. You could only hold things in on your chest for so long. And I'm glad I'm finally opening it up. We check out some local kids excited about agriculture.
1: You get a chance to learn the proper way to plan a plan. It's a real fun process.
0: Lastly, we sit down for a one-on-one with a Chicago attorney who just keeps going and going.
1: I view what I do as fun. I have never had a, a job where I felt like, oh, I don't want to go to work today.
0: It's all next on Heart & Soul.
2: Sanders, and welcome to another edition of Heart and Soul, the show that shines a light on people doing some extraordinary things in this city that we call home.
3: First up, Evelyn Holmes introduces us to a man who turned a gallery into a nightclub that cranked out many laughs. Take a look at this. In the
4: 1990s, there was a little unknown comedy club just south of the river that featured many of today's most recognizable celebs like Chris Rock, Monique, and Dave Chappelle to name a few. It was here just south of the river where each performed live on a stage at this comedy club that was both explosive and full of excitement.
5: This is like one of the few clubs that I can say I worked at consistently, that people actually got comedy. They got timing. They got irony. They got the joke. I don't think I've seen one since that was that comedy intelligent. I say it all the time. I learned how to be a comedian at All Jokes Aside. And talk about a, a club that at, you know, at its heyday, every night of the weekend and the sat 300 people but still would turn away 150 people a night that could not get in.
4: Native Chicagoans George Wilborn and Tony Schofield know all too well what excitement and fun, all jokes aside, brought to the city of Chicago.
5: I remember things like standing out after a show talking to Dave Chappelle for like an hour, two hours, you know what I mean? Like the, the people that used to come through there. I remember my very first time All jokes aside, I opened up for Steve Harvey. Who does that? Your very first time opening up at a club, you open up for Steve Harvey. I just think that it was so amazing that this little club, uh, you know, in in the South Loop area was able to garner just, I mean... People from everywhere. I mean, I met doctors, lawyers. It, it, it'd be the biggest thug that you knew from the block, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. sitting mm-hmm. two tables from a CEO. A, a CEO or a senator. But guess what? Everybody understood what you were talking about.
4: <laughs> Living in the New Jack City! Yeah. Yeah. Another native Chicagoan, Damon Williams, also played a major role in the comedy club during its time in the spotlight and remembers all too well the joys of being on that stage.
1: Oh my God, get away. <laughs>
6: a golden era for us in comedy. It's like the, the birth of black and hip-hop comedy in America, and it sort of originated, all jokes aside, if you look at all the people that went from there to do major things.
5: <laughs> We're a nice flash mob. We'll steal your car and go have it tuned up. <laughs> I got a chance to nurture relationships with some of the best that's in the business right now, relationships that, to, the, to this day, you know, are, are are priceless to me. You know, Monique and, and myself are, are literally like brother and sisters, and those all stem. From uh, those early days at All Jokes Society.
4: But what happened, and why didn't it stand the test of time like other comedy clubs in Chicago? Well, now all those questions and more are the focus of a new documentary, Funny Business, a Black Comedy, produced by the founder of All Jokes Society, Raymond Lambert.
6: I think all Joke Society during its run was the best comedy club in the country. And I'm not saying that it has less to do with me, just everything sort of coming together, and we took it really, really seriously.
5: Some of y'all think that we all like rap. <laughs> the last thing I'm gonna do is spend my hard-earned money, go to a concert, see some kid walking around with some big pants on and some gym shoes on. Timmy wants to say pizza! say pizza
4: For many, the last were non-stop because it was a place many African Americans could go to escape the monotony of life.
6: We created a place for comedians of color, primarily black and Hispanic comedians, to hone their craft, polish their act, to play before an audience that understood them and appreciated them. So it was a win-win for everybody.
5: I couldn't believe I'm like a black man owns this club.
4: Although the club never received national fame like other comedy clubs across the country, this venue produced stars.
6: Steve Harvey, Cedric the Entertainer, D.L. Hughley, Laura Hayes, Adele, Monique, my God. If if, if there was a black comedian performing in the 1990s, we have something on them. It was the epicenter in the country for black stand-up comedians.
4: In the 84-minute doc, producer Raymond Lambert, director John Davies, and co-producer Reed Brody explore the highs and lows of the club. This project took three years to make, but was certainly worth it in the end.
7: Whenever people think of Chicago in comedy, or well, whenever white people think of it, they think Second City, what a star factory. And what we like about this story is who knew, at least in the white community here, who knew that just three or four miles south of Second City, there was another star factory cranking out huge talents. You know, you don't need to be black to relate to this movie at all. It's a funny movie. It's a great American story of a young entrepreneur making something happen. And uh, even age groups, we've had 17-year-old kids watch it and. You know, it's a non-stop laugh riot.
4: The documentary is currently making its debut at film festivals all over the country and is hoping to bring everyone big laughs.
6: The film was really able to evolve, you know, uh, as, as a finished piece because we got to screen it a lot and, you know, take audience reactions. And it really is, it's, we you always see, it's, it's very, very funny.
1: I didn't know much about the comedy business, so I feel like just watching the documentary I learned
6: have be right for a comedy club like that to, 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 you know, really take off. for those of us who who were familiar it'll bring back memories for those who never heard of it they'll feel like wow I can't believe that place existed I wish I could have gone
3: there I'm looking forward to seeing that documentary they are all riots if you'd like more information on it Just log on to our website, abc7chicago.com. Okay, don't go anywhere, because after a break, we see how a local athlete turned tragedy.
2: Welcome back to the show. Now, our next story shows how one man was determined to make a name for himself, despite the outlook on his life. Here's Charles Thomas with more. Long before Chicagoans fell in love with Derrick Rose, this city had a
7: crush on another guy, LaRue Martin, a big man from 61st and South Michigan. He had a bad outside jumper and was extremely quick on his feet. LaRue Martin may appear to be a dominant force, but in reality, this native Chicagoan is a gentle giant who grew up with very humble beginnings on the South Side.
0: I was always the tallest in class, even in grade school. I was around 6'4", 6'5". Standing and lying, I'm always in the back. Had a special desk for me because I couldn't put in the average desk. Many people probably wonder why a guy of this stature
7: chose a career at UPS and not basketball. And that's where the story takes a turn. You see, LaRue did play professional basketball nearly
0: 38 years ago. I never thought about the NBA when I was playing in college. Uh, My major was uh, in sociology. I had a minor in education, but never thought about professional ball. Back in 1972, this
7: Loyola University star was the number one draft pick in the NBA selected by the Portland Trailblazers. He was in the class with such greats as Julius Irving, Bob McAdoo, and he played with and against Hall
0: of Famers Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Bill Walton. In my playing time, I was a good rebounder and um, I had a good outside shot of being seven feet tall. And I guess the coach didn't care for that, so uh, sat on the bench a number of times. LaRue received minimal
7: playing time and averaged minimal points and rebounds, which led to the demise of his NBA career. By the end of his fourth year, he was out of a job and had no money to show for his time in the league. I was so bothered by not playing, uh, not producing. Many sports critics have labeled him the worst number one draft pick in the history of the
0: NBA. The Martin first draft choice. But what do you do about it out there? I just go to work and mind my business. I wish I could have stayed in the league a lot longer. Not winning a championship ring, you know, uh, that hurts me. But you know, I got a ring at UPS and been there for so many number of years. That's more important to me. To be honest with you all started for me back in 1987 I was a package card driver back in Portland Oregon when I got my first uniform they looked at me and said LaRue we have a problem we don't have pants to fit you so what I did I took two pair of pants cut the bottom off of one and sewed them onto the other at present, he is the
7: community services manager for the Illinois District where he maintains great ties
5: to the community. He's the face in the community for UPS. There's no place that he and I can't go where there's somebody who doesn't stop, come up to us and talk to him either about his basketball career or about something that he's done through UPS in the community. Sometimes I feel like I'm with a rock star when I go out with him.
7: Now, he's happy about the opportunities with which he's been blessed and is now able to truly let go of the past.
0: I've been blessed. Uh, they have allowed me to do what I have to do and bring in the business and supply monies to the community-based organizations. And uh, when it comes down to the community, I love seeing people smile on the face.
5: And every now and then I'll I'll say to him, LaRue, you should be proud of yourself. Look at who you are now. Look at what you've done. There are a lot of people who didn't have a successful college career, let alone get an opportunity to go into the NBA. So you should just be proud of what you've done. So many guys still have the basketball
0: dream.
1: You
0: read their resume, guess what's on their resume? most valuable player, scores so many points. Duh. Corporations don't care about that. I don't care what kind of name you have.
7: And while LaRue loves life and tries to live it to the fullest, he wants
0: others to always have an exit plan. I'm not saying that uh, I'm the nicest guy in the world, but I try very hard. And being humble and speaking from the heart, this is how you're gonna move on in life. Because after UPS, I'm looking to do something else. I'm looking forward to moving on, and I'm being successful in whatever I touch.
2: When we come back, we meet a woman looking to restore the image of a scandal-plague cemetery.
3: attention to a woman who packs some hard punches in the courtroom, yet still has a soft spot. Here's Evelyn Holmes with an up-close encounter with one of Chicago's top defense attorneys.
4: If you do a search of her name, tons of articles will pop up. That's because Patricia Brown Holmes is a class act who's accomplished a whole lot in a relatively short period of time. Born in San Diego, but raised in Chicago, Patricia Brown was destined for success. At an early age, she was taught fundamental values and morals by her mother, who single-handedly raised five children. She chose to study industrial engineering at the University of Illinois, even though she had been accepted into Harvard and Stanford.
1: I decided to go to the University of Illinois because it was close to home, and my mother had five kids. I'm the oldest of the five kids and I was just afraid to be that far away from home because I felt like she needed me.
4: During her years in college, she decided to forego a career in engineering and subsequently chose to study law. Patricia Brown Holmes has worked in every facet of law as a prosecutor, defense attorney, and even as a judge.
1: I could probably be definitely one of the only minorities in the city, if not one of the only people in the city, who has been on the prosecution, the defense, as well as the judge, and who has tried cases in state court, city court, federal court, state appellate court, state supreme court, federal appellate court, and I actually have a brief with my name on it in the U.S. Supreme Court.
7: She deals with extremely complex legal and factual issues and is able to master them in a way that few can and deliver them in common terms, in common sense. It really is a unique and wonderful ability.
1: I try to contribute to the growth and development of the firm. I try to make sure that we are thinking about what's important to our clients and that we're thinking about diversity.
7: She is tireless and devoted to developing these people's careers and bettering their lives.
4: As if her day job wasn't enough, she was recently appointed a trustee of the scandal-plagued Burr Oak Cemetery that was thrust into the spotlight negatively because its workers were emptying graves and desecrating the remains in an effort to get some quick cash. Over the past couple of days, about a dozen discarded burial vaults were found in a heavily wooded corner of the cemetery.
1: I'm listening to this tragedy and I'm listening to what the local politicians are talking about doing. But what I didn't hear is what the governor was planning on doing and whether there was going to be some type of an investigation.
4: So Judge Holmes did what any concerned attorney would do. She called the governor and complained because like many others, her father and brother were both buried at the cemetery. She was chosen to lead a panel who looked into the matter. As a result of the investigation she conducted, there was a new law that was passed, the Cemetery Oversight Act.
1: We plan to make sure that people want to come there to tour the cemetery and to understand its history and to engage in the history of the cemetery.
4: Although she enjoys work, this wife and mother of three loves the time she spends with her family.
1: I love to go home and joke around with my kids and my husband. I view what I do as fun. I've always liked getting up, coming to work. I have never had a a job where I felt like, oh, I don't want to go to work today. You know, I'm just me, kind, you know, vivacious. You know, I've heard that word recently and I I said, I like that word.
3: Thanks, Evelyn, for sharing her story. Judge Holmes is going full speed ahead and has no plans on stopping anytime soon. Coming up after this short break, we meet some kids planting a harvest.
2: Welcome back. You know, in the city, there are certain parts of town that have been labeled food deserts. That's areas that lack fresh fruits and vegetables within a certain radius. Well, Charles Thomas is back now with a look at some inner-city youngsters who are trying to change the image of their neighborhood. Even
7: though we live in a large metropolitan city, there are all sorts of hidden pockets in Chicago that focus on agriculture. In fact, just a short drive south from here, we found a farm in the inner city that's working hard to harvest fresh produce. Founded by noted philanthropist and billionaire Gary Comer, the Gary Comer Youth Center is the premier place for children all year round.
4: One, two, three, four.
7: Home to the South Shore Drill Team and a host of other programs, this multifunctional space is a home away from home for many of today's young people. The Gary Comer Youth Center is an 80,000 square foot facility that opened up in 2006 to serve the youth in the local community. Now, the center, located on the city's south side, is looking to add another two acres of land to its already enormous space with the addition of an orchard.
3: We had a rooftop garden that was getting really popular, growing a lot of food, getting a lot of young people interested, and this was the next step then, to go ahead and add the urban farm and add fruit so that we'd have flowers and vegetables and herbs and fruit.
7: Just last year, the center began to turn the vacant land across the street into an urban farm. Then several weeks ago, when the Edie's Fruit Bars online contest was presented to them, they applied. And to the center's surprise, it won the opportunity to add several fruit-bearing trees to the land that's already producing fresh produce.
2: In 2010, Edie's
4: introduced the Communities Take Root program. It's a program dedicated to planting fruit tree
1: orchards in different deserving communities around the U.S. And the Gary Comer oh, yeah. Foundation won an orchard. This orchard is a win for the community because it's a new addition to the farm, to the Gary Comer Youth Center farm, so, so more things out here can develop.
7: It's all very welcoming for this neighborhood which is a food desert because the closest grocery store is nearly a mile away.
3: Many of our youth and our families don't have places where they can go and get a fresh piece of fruit or something made fresh daily.
7: Soon many of the community members and students will see a harvest of apples, cherries and pears thanks to the generosity of Edie's Fruit Bars and the Communities Take Root initiative.
3: There are really three channels for distribution. It's our community, it's selling specialty produce to restaurants, and it's donating produce to local churches for their food banks.
7: The project will support other youth programs that are already in existence at the facility.
3: The Green Teens is a group of youth who are participating in a program to learn about green career exploration. And we have over 80 youth participating in a two-year program, and they learn all about different green careers.
7: To date, the Gary Comer Youth Center has produced 400 pounds of broccoli, tomatoes, and other vegetables that have been donated to a local food bank. And now with the planting of these trees, those numbers can only increase.
6: Working here in the fruit orchard and the other gardens of the youth center, I get a chance to learn about different plants and how to harvest and grow different flowers and plants and
4: foods I have learned how to plant flowers harvest flowers plant
1: potatoes harvest potatoes and plant trees if I get older I might want to start my own garden
3: It's the end of our show, but if you'd like any more information about these stories, just log on to our website, abc7chicago.com. For Jose Sanders, Charles Thomas, and Evelyn Holmes, I'm Leah Hope. See you next time for another edition of Heart and Soul.